0: As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as a reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I've had not any problems with is OnPay. It's been Set It and Forget It Payroll. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. <laughs> And so be prepared, everybody, for QuickBooks Online AI Edition that's going to cost you an extra 60 bucks a month because the street is going to pressure these companies to charge for some AI functionality. The door is wide open for this now now that Microsoft announced they're going to do it. So just prepare all of yourselves. The street's looking for it. And who, who do these companies answer to first, usually? The street. The street's looking for additional revenue because you rolled out AI. All the subscriptions are going to go up. Just be prepared. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio.
1: Hello and welcome to the Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver.
0: And I'm David Leary. And congratulations on nailing it the first time. Like a professional. Thank you.
1: I'm figuring it out. So, David, have you seen any movies lately?
0: No, I've, uh, I've been staying on top of how I turned pretty last summer or river that it's that series on, uh, you're, you're watching, Amazon. Streaming. I'm watching it. I'm yeah. watching a teenage girl drama TV show right now. Yes. No movies. Okay. <laughs> are you, are you, are you going to movies? Everybody's got the summer movies, right? Summer movies is big right now.
1: Yeah. I went out to see Barbie last night with my brother and my wife, and we had a great time it's a really fun movie and there's a reference a very brief reference in the movie to the irs so i figured i had to talk about this on the show now you can expense it right you can expense the whole trip right so i i've I've gone down this wikipedia rabbit hole learning about the creator of barbie ruth handler who is a character in the movie her ghost talks to barbie (laughs) and mentions that she had these IRS problems and tax problems. Ruth Handler was a fascinating real person. She was a female executive who founded Mattel with her husband in the 1930s and invented Barbie in the 1950s. Her character in the movie mentions to Barbie that she had all these IRS issues. And so I went and looked it up and it's actually not IRS issues. It was SEC issues. In the 1970s, the Securities and Exchange Commission, they investigated Ruth and other former Mattel executives and alleged that senior management had issued statements that were deliberately false to give an illusion that they had impressive sales growth in 1971, 72 and 73. And that they may have overstated their pre-tax income of 34 million in 1971 by as much as 15 million to $20 million. So, like half of their income was potentially overstated due to fraud in 1978 ruth and four former mattel executives were indicted by a federal grand jury for conspiracy mail fraud and making false financial statements to the sec the new york times reported ruth pleaded no contest and received a $57,000 fine and 2500
0: community service hours that's a lot of community service but she didn't go to jail Did you read about, like, what the scam was? Were they just inflating the number? or Were they doing some fake receipts, like, saying they sold more Barbies than they did? Like, or did this just made up top line?
1: I don't know what the details are. Maybe our friends on the Oh My Fraud podcast can look into that. But all I was able to find was that they overstated their pre-tax income at Mattel. And and so um, the SEC came after them. So that's your connection, Barbie and accounting. And then the
0: Hollywood writers just decide, let's toss the IRS under the bus.
1: Yeah, I guess maybe they thought that like, people wouldn't know what the SEC is. That's the funny part, is that the reference in the movie is to tax and IRS problems, but I didn't find any of that. It looks like the problems were with the SEC and financial reporting. So once again, Hollywood gets it wrong when it comes to accounting. <laughs> and welcome everyone who has joined us. In the live stream, uh, if you have any thoughts on our topics of discussion here today or anything that has piqued your attention this week, let us know. We wanna hear what stories are top of mind for you. And a reminder to all of our listeners that you can join us live on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, search for The Accounting Podcast, and you can subscribe
0: and get notified when we go live. So David, what's new with you? I saw that uh, Intuit's launching an ad network, that's a story. And then I also saw, I think, um, audits are worse than they've ever been, which is kind of crazy because they were pretty bad last year and pretty bad the year before. Let's talk about Intuit launching an ad network. I want to hear about that. So so this came through, it came through not our normal media channels. So this came through like Adweek and through uh, another site called mediapost.com. And basically, long story short, Intuit is launching what it calls the first B2B network targeting small businesses they're calling this SMB Media Labs. So let me click on this, add to stream here. So they launched this site. And it sounds like they already have some people on their network already. And the way I think it's working, cause it's not, you know, you have to piece together press releases and a vague website. So let's say Blake, you want to run an ad targeting dentist offices that have four employees. Intuit has that data. They knew who those people are. And maybe you want to target ones that have certain revenue metrics, right? Intuit has that data, that QuickBooks data. And they're not selling the data. But it looks like what they're going to do is you want to market to those people. So you actually go to Intuit to buy your ads. Then Intuit runs those ads like, let's say, on Facebook for you. So they're kind of being, like Mm. it's like a buying service in a way, if that makes any sense. Oh,
1: yeah, well, so I wonder how they're doing it exactly, but I know Facebook has these uh, custom audiences that you can create where you can upload a contact list and you can build uh, an audience that is that contact list specifically or looks like those contacts. So that is either what Intuit's doing or something like it.
0: And historically that was always done off of cookies. But, you know, because Apple's going – Apple started to shut down the cookies, which has made advertising a lot harder, right, to reach who you want to reach in these exchanges. Um, And so you're starting to see, I think, even – who's the big hotel chain? Marriott. Marriott started to do this now. They're offering an ad network for people to advertise. So the ads won't be in QuickBooks, but they'll be on other third-party services using the QuickBooks data. So any listeners, they can actually go to medialabs.intuit.com and read about this if they'd like. And on not only that, you actually can go there and you can actually choose to opt out. So you can opt out if you do not want your QuickBooks files and your client's files being used in this in theory, you can opt out of these ads. So they, they do talk about how very specifically, they make it very clear like these ads will not be in QuickBooks. There's no private data being put out on this, but they said they already have brands already doing these ads. I put my email address in, hopefully I get some more info. Like maybe we could try to run an ad. This I don't, I, I don't know, but it's uh, a big jump. And I don't know how the market's gonna react to this. I'm sure the advertisers love it. But what, what mm-hmm. is the, our community? I mean, you, those of you in the chat, right? What are the time podcast listeners? What are all those Quick bridge Pro Advisors? How are they gonna react to this? Hey, Intuit's got the data and now they're monetizing it externally. It's cool, private data still, it's not that specific.
1: It's just—it's a great example of how Intuit is always looking for ways to monetize the data they have, to upsell. Like They are so good at creating more value out of what they have. And I think accounting firms can learn from this because a lot of times we bring in clients and we forget that they need a whole lot more stuff and we're just doing this one thing for them and we could be doing a whole lot more. And that's how Intuit has become a billion-dollar company is not just by selling, say, QuickBooks online to somebody, but they add payroll, they add merchant processing, and suddenly the client is spending, or the customer is spending hundreds of dollars a month on Intuit products. And they do the same thing on the back end with the data now. It's yeah.
0: they're really and, smart. And to put a uh, number on this a little bit, as the third-party cookies are getting deprecated by the browsers and by Apple, by the big companies, because they don't, they don't need them anymore, advertisers really want first-party data. And so this, they're calling it retail media, people who have first party data, it's attracted $45 billion in ad spend. So until just seeing another, here's a $45 billion floating out there, we want to get our piece of that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a huge market opportunity here, but it's very gray, you know, even the, like, you know, the how it works doesn't have much, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like That's it. It just says like they're working with somebody. Larry here in
1: the live stream says, it should be opt-in for QBO subscription discount. Feels wrong to use private accounting data for profit in the ter- terms and conditions that are rarely read. They, n- they would never make it opt-in. I mean, I, I understand why uh, you feel that way, Larry, but they're never going to make it opt-in because nobody would opt into this.
0: They're basically providing an ad service, right? They're, they're the ad buyer based on who they, they they're an mm. advertising agency to some extent now. I want some ads and they're going to go buy the ads for me. It could be
1: good for accountants. Ryan says, our firm has interest in leveraging our data, even internally, such as benchmarking. Concern over privacy and engagement letters becomes the big hurdle. Yeah. So in your engagement letter, copy what Intuit does in terms of the permissions. When you sign up a client, they're giving you permission to use their data anonymously to do all of this stuff, as long as you anonymize it. And... Make it a blanket condition as, as broad as you can, so that you have flexibility. And also, the same way uh, when you use apps, where you don't have to go out ideally and get permission for every single application that you use to provide your service to them, just get a blanket permission that says, if you work with us, we're going to use a bunch of different apps. We are going to do our best to make sure that your data is secure. But ultimately, you know whether or not your data is safe rests with that vendor. Yeah, and it's and a
0: scary world out there.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you just you want to be covered, right?
0: I think, yeah, you want to be covered from a company standpoint and and firm standpoint. But at the same time, I was just, I've been having a a roof leak and I was watching some YouTube videos on uh, roof mastic, right? Paint paint for the roof, whatever you want to call it. I was clicking on some videos and I was clicking on some sites. I got an email from this local company in Tucson that makes this roof mastic and it says, thanks for stopping by our website. Like, I didn't type in my email address on their website. Like, how did they get my email and send me this email? It's a little, that's what I mean, it's a very scary world we live in. Like, yeah. obviously you're opting into stuff you don't know about. I don't know what thing, maybe, maybe Google sent that to them. I don't know. How did they get my email address? That fast, you know, within a couple hours.
1: It's, it's a, a scary, scary world. And you know, it's also a scary world because as much as 40% of audits in 2022 are deficient, David, this is the headline in the Wall Street Journal. Accounting Watchdog expects deficiencies in 40% of public company audits in 2022. Chair Erica Williams calls findings completely unacceptable. This is up from 34% in 2021 and 29% in 2020. So they inspected a lot of firms, 157 audit firms, and they reviewed portions of 710 audits. So it's a big sample size, and 40% of them have deficiencies. And these are significant deficiencies, deficiencies that are so significant that the PCAOB says that the auditor should not have issued its opinion. They didn't collect sufficient evidence to back up their opinion. Audit firms are blaming high staff turnover, reliance on less experienced staff, and remote work, according to the PCAOB. Although they don't collect data specifically on what caused the underlying audit issues, they just ask the firms what are the challenges you are facing and that's what the firms are saying they're saying that high staff turnover less experienced staff and remote work adoption i think the re- the remote work adoption man you know that's always the
0: scapegoat didn't the chairman or, or chairwoman when she at the press conference call those out as excuses from the firms she, <laughs> did she, she? Almost, I, like, I didn't i didn't the, watch the uh, yeah press i conference. think she referenced it as, as, as excuses and then she goes on to say that the, the main cause is like some firms lack any quality control systems even a monitoring procedure to check that workers have adhered to professional standards in their accounting and auditing. Right, so so basically it's like, go do this audit and nobody ever checks it internally.
1: Now, it's worse. It's worse in China and Hong Kong. The PCOB did its first ever inspections of Chinese audits, audits of Chinese companies, and found that KPMG and PwC had deficiency rates of 100% and 75% respectively. 100 percent deficiency
0: 100 percent
1: yeah yeah kpmg had a hundred percent deficiency rate in china well,
0: wouldn't you just get lucky and do one well, it was, correct
1: it was only they only reviewed eight audits but i mean okay, okay. like four I, it doesn't say how it was broken out but let's say four for kpmg four for pwc I'm, I'm guessing right so all four were deficient for kpmg and three out of four for pwc if that's how it was broken out
0: so not a good look oh. for the audit profession it says, the audit clients that receive faulty audits are not disclosed by the PACOB. Like, like, I get the whole market impl- implications of this, but like, maybe that's the way change happens, right? Yeah. Like, like, have the news article that lists 700 companies or whatever it is, 300 companies with bad audits. Like, cause chaos in the market. That's the way you get change.
1: Yeah. Yeah, by hiding this, by shielding these companies, they're... There's like there's no there's no real penalty. And and the financial penalties that the PCAOB issues are minuscule, like $10 million a year in financial yeah. penalties for a multi billion dollar industry. So they, they they have no teeth, right? Like maybe, yeah, maybe naming and shaming the companies with the bad audit audits. But then these companies would say, Well, it's our auditor that you know did the bad job. I don't know. But I agree with you. Like this
0: in- this isn't sustainable. And that goes by a bigger question, because the whole f- reason the PCAOB was created in, tw- in 2002 was because of the whole Enron-Anderson mess, right? So now it's, it's 21 years later. They're coming out with these big press conferencing, how it's completely unacceptable, the state of audit. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what have you been doing for 20 years? Well, <laughs> well they didn't do much like, for You're supposedly years. being the oversight for 20 years. Like, some of this is on you, too. You just can't say it's these big firms. Like, yeah. you're part of the problem.
1: Well, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The way that you fix audit is that you make auditors truly independent. They should be hired by an independent third party, not by the companies they audit, and they shouldn't be doing consulting work. They should be completely separate and only do audit and not be a part of these big consulting firms, which is what the big four have become. They are consulting firms that happen to do audits, and that's a huge conflict of interest no matter how you skin it.
0: And I think the PCAOB is a conflict of interest. Right, And I feel like you talked about this on the podcast a year and a half ago. Like there's people that they're, they're senior members at these big audit firms and they go to work for the PCOB. Then they go back to one of the firms. There's this like this dance that happens and like who's going to rat out the firm you might go take a job at. But it's, yeah. I don't know. The whole thing's uh, pretty broken. But 40%, like, like at what point do we start panicking? 40% is pretty high. Well, and the,
1: and the question... A really good question that Michael asked in the live chat is, what's the threshold for an audit to be deemed deficient? And this is not clear. It's not clear based on PCAOB's communications, what exactly that means, like how deficient does it have to be? So maybe if they gave us more information on this, like just how bad the audits are, then we would know. They do have two different types of deficiencies. There's like a, a really bad one and a less bad one. It's a good point, Michael. Romeo says, the PwC Australia MARA law leaks sort of proved that a lot of the reasons big clients stick with large firms despite deficiencies is for, quote, the added benefits, unquote. Tim says, PCAOB are just disgruntled B4X auditors.
0: Disgruntled.
1: So actually, David, the the PCAOB has done something to increase transparency a bit. There is now a website where you can search PCAOB inspection reports by how many screw-ups an audit firm made. They have put 3,700 PCOB inspection reports online. It's called the Firm Inspection Reports page. Uh, I haven't actually looked at this yet. I've got it up on the screen for our live stream viewers. You can search by deficiency rate. So I could actually say, okay, who had a really high deficiency rate, more than 50%? KPMG in Japan, they had a 67% Part 1A deficiency rate out of three audits. So two out of three failed. Let's see who has the highest Postal weight in Netterville in the u s had a one hundred percent deficiency rate, but they only had one audit reviewed
0: so just for somebody like e y yeah,
1: right
0: like, so e y is going to do in theory how many audits this year
1: uh I mean hundreds. Uh, yeah, I don't know probably yeah it and could the pCOB be. might review two or three of them well more than that for the big firms. Okay, so here's 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 some uh, firms with more audits reviewed than just one. Witham, Smith, and Brown had 17 audits reviewed for 2021 and had a 76% Part 1A deficiency rate. RSM, 15 audits reviewed, 73% deficiency for 2017. Oh, I can do the year. I can filter by the year too. So, Okay, here we go. So for, for firms with more than, let's say, five audits reviewed in 2021, let's look at the deficiencies. Malone Bailey, yeah, they had an 86% deficiency rate. So there's some firms out there that are like not doing well based on what the PCOB thinks they should be doing, like really bad, right? Like if the PCOB is setting the standard for what a quality audit is and you're getting 70, 80% of your audits marked as deficient, there's a problem there. But I mean, this just keeps happening year after year after year, right? So how, how do you improve this? How does this get better? It's getting worse. So the question is, how does it get better?
0: I don't have an answer to that. I don't have an answer. <laughs> it sounds like... Yeah. It, okay. It, it can't be AI. Oh, it's AI. You know, just throw out the, the simple answer. But the, what's interesting well, is eventually, they, they talked about mean, the uptick they, in failures. Maybe AI will do a better job. Sorry, go ahead,
1: David. There's a delay.
0: Oh, I was going to say, they, uh, they talked about the uptick in failures. You know, they said some of it is quote-unquote mm-hmm. basic audit steps sufficiently. They're just not executing the basic audit steps. Wow. Like it's corner cutting. Yeah. I,
1: and I wonder how bad it is. I would love to see examples. Like, does it mean they're not confirming bank balances? They're relying on client information. Like, you know, EY was not confirming bank balances at Wirecard in Germany, like basic stuff they weren't doing.
0: Yeah. They say such as the use of non-credible data to support conclusions. You're right. So like, basically like that's a pretty, data. S-
1: and I think usually that means relying on client provided information. If you don't independently go out and confirm this stuff, how do you know that it's real?
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants. And with 30 plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on. They offer a dashboard to manage all your clients in one place. And when I say manage, I probably should say balance that fine line between control and delegation. OnPay lets you keep 100% control. You can delegate payroll to someone at your firm or hand off payroll duties to your client. But no matter who runs payroll, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Xero, and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they are using. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts or a rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting. From setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees, they'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. If you're looking for a great product with great support to match, check out OnPay. Learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo/forward/slash O N P A Y. OnPay, on switch to better payroll.
1: Okay, let's move on. There's this report from the Center for Audit Quality about the 150-hour rule. My favorite topic, David. I'll pull this up on the screen here. The headline on the press release is significant barriers deter students from pursuing a degree in accounting, according to CAQ report. Again, the CAQ is the Center for Audit Quality. I want to pull up the full report to show you some charts here. So they surveyed 1800 students and recent graduates between October, 2022 and May, 2023. They did in-depth interviews with business students and recent accounting graduates. Here's a chart that says reasons for not choosing accounting as a major. This is among non-accounting majors. And among the top five results, we have don't want to pursue 150 hours for CPA and can't afford 150 hours, need to start earning. And it was a major reason for 29% of those students and 25% of those students, respectively, was it was at least part of the reason for 61% of the students or no, sorry, 57%. So looking at this chart, over half of these students said it was either a major reason or part of the reason was the one hundred and fifty hour rule to become a CPA. And then it's even more for black and Hispanic non-accounting students.
0: So it's finally real data that we've been saying where Zimbi survey the people that drop out. It's finally being done now.
1: And we have yeah, the like, real data. Yeah. If you want to attract more non-accounting students into accounting, remove one fifty and you'll have a significant impact on like, over half of them. It,
0: it might change their mind. And based on the PCAOB report, <laughs> it's not like the education, the increase in education is helping improve quality of the industry or the audits. Like, right, right. Like, yeah, in if, theory, that should all be getting better.
1: Yeah, if, if the 150-hour rule was increasing audit quality, it wouldn't be going the wrong direction. So among those planning to pursue accounting the cost of the additional classes to reach the 150 credit hours of education is a major obstacle for 31% and is at least a contributing obstacle for 75%. So 75% said that 150 the cost of the education is an obstacle. And for a third about a third it's a it's a significant obstacle. And Additional time, same thing. 74% say it's an obstacle or a major obstacle, with 20% saying it's a major obstacle. So that's among people who are already majoring in accounting. So, I mean, yeah, this to me is real strong evidence that it has a negative impact on the number of accounting grads and that students are switching out to other majors.
0: And at the end of this, do they make any conclusions as far as like the impact this will have on the audit industry? Do they take this data they have and... Projected out to the future,
1: I don't. I don't know. I didn't see any conclusions in the report. Okay. I mean, it, it just identifies the reasons. Okay. I think the problem is this is like a, such a touchy issue. Is that like no? You know, even though eighty percent of the profession, in my estimation, is against one hundred and fifty or supports an alternative that doesn't require as much education. For example, swapping that second, that extra year of education for a year of experience. Going back to offering 120 plus two years of experience, the vast majority of accountants, CPAs, are in favor of that. But the leadership is not. And it's because the leadership put in place these rules and doesn't want to admit that they made a mistake. That's my
0: theory. Did you see that the IRS is not going to do unannounced visits anymore? Oh, yeah. I saw that. Which I didn't even know they were still doing, but apparently they're doing tens of thousands a year.
1: Just showing up at your business to shake you down. Or your house. (laughs) But
0: no. I guess I was just confused. How is this even efficient?
1: It's like, not. I think that's one of the if reasons If I go on vacation, stopping.
0: I'm not home. They're just wasting time driving to my house. It doesn't make any sense. Well, and you know, now with like
1: ring video cameras and stuff, like you see people at the door. Like you don't, you're not going to come to the door when you see like guys in suits who look like IRS agents yeah. standing there. <laughs> you
0: hide out. Um, yeah. So they're going to replace this with um, mailed letters. And then uh, a follow-up call to like schedule a meeting ahead of time. So, but I I didn't even know they were still doing this. So I I think they'll spread the word to your friends, like, cause then, you know, the whole, oh, the 70, you know, all these IRS agents with their guns are going to come hammering down doors from the $80 billion. Tell your friends, spread the word. They're not even going to come make visits unannounced anymore. So spread the word. They should just harass
1: you on social media. That's how they can do like comment on all your Instagram posts. That'll get your attention.
0: <laughs> you didn't pay your taxes yet. That's really yeah. funny. That can be effective. Uh, did you, have you been following the Hunter Biden saga, David? I think, if, I think I saw something where he's trying to negotiate a settlement. So that way, if we get a different president, he will get prosecuted differently or something. I don't know. Something like that. Fill me in on this, this political tax drama
1: there were these IRS whistleblowers who testified in congress special agents from the irs testified before the house oversight committee about their investigation into hunter biden's taxes they accused the justice department officials in this investigation of giving preferential treatment to biden and slow walking the probe the agents claimed that prosecutors did not push for felony charges allowed the statute of limitations to expire on some tax charges and retaliated against them by removing them from the investigation the agents also allege that prosecutors concealed evidence, delayed search warrants, and instructed investigators not to ask certain questions during interviews. So Hunter Biden's getting special treatment is the allegation here by these career IRS agents. Not really a surprise. I mean, like, that doesn't surprise me at all, right? Like, sons of presidents tend to get preferential treatment.
0: <laughs> yeah, you but don't, you don't it's want not good, to see it's this. not a good look. help. No. Yeah.
1: It's not a good look for the for biden and they really pissed off these agents who testified joseph ziegler one of the agents he wrote an op-ed in the wall street journal saying that uh criticizing these justice department officials and believes that a special counsel should be appointed so an independent reviewer can fully examine the investigation and proper and improper decisions
0: what's next david Do you wanna do app news? Do you have something else that's not app news-ish? Let's go into the tech. So Sage announced their earnings. And short answer, you know, it's up, they have a rising cloud, uh, US sales are up, they're, they're doing, it's fine. But the conference calls are always the interesting questions. And there wasn't actually, there wasn't a lot in their conference call. But this ties back to last week, how we talked about how Microsoft is going to add a fee in Microsoft Office to get AI. Yeah, like thirty and bucks per, their user stock per month. Their stock went all time high, so they were specifically asked. Uh, this is this is uh, one of the analysts asking the question at the Sage conference call. Could you please discuss the upsell opportunity from AI productivity tools to the installed base? Now Sage didn't really answer this. They just said they're doing AI stuff, blah blah blah. They spend about 50, sixteen to seventy percent of the recurring revenue on R and D. But the fact that that question was asked. Tells me they're gonna ask it to QuickBooks, they're gonna ask it to Zero, they're gonna ask it to every public company, Bill.com, all these companies. And so be prepared, everybody, for QuickBooks Online AI edition that's gonna cost you an extra sixty bucks a month because the street is going to pressure these companies to charge. For some AI functionality. Like the wind the door is wide open for this now, now that Microsoft announced they're gonna do it. So just prepare all of yourselves. The street's looking for it. And who who do these companies answer to first? Usually the street. The street's looking for additional revenue because you rolled out AI. So all the subscriptions are gonna go up. Just be prepared. <laughs> okay.
1: There's a new AI tool called fraud GPT. This is available on the dark web for $200 per month. The tool can be used to write malicious code, create undetectable malware, and find leaks and vulnerabilities. It is unknown which large language model was used to develop FraudGPT. The rise of tools like FraudGPT pose a significant threat to cybersecurity and highlights the need for robust defense strategies. So all those phishing emails that you get are going to get a lot better. And, you know, the the joke about... um. Like you know, these like the emails that sound like they were written by somebody who doesn't know English. Right, that that's going to go away. They they're going to get really good. So be on the lookout for, for really sophisticated fraud attacks.
0: Trying to um, so I, and I'll just mention it because I don't know if it's worth talking about the whole article, but there was a thing about the IRS. They are, they get thrown audits as far as their security awareness, and apparently the IRS is really good. So these phishing emails they, when they get tested, they're they're good at everything, but the after action review. Whatever they call it, the the wrap up and like making sure it's documented very well, the 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 incident, right? So, but it's good to know. Like the IRS, they've actually trained the staff enough to recognize intrusions. But like you said, if these get better, like if if they don't smell like an, a fake intrusion email, what do you do? Right? Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, that's what I look for. Is like the you know the links don't look right, the the verbiage is weird. But if all that's accurate, I'm gonna have to be a lot more careful about what I click on.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting podcast is sponsored by Relay. Between Blake and myself, we now have 3, 4, or maybe 5 business entities, 20 or so checking accounts, and dozens and dozens of virtual cards. It would be impossible to manage all of this if we weren't using Relay as our small business bank. Relay is truly a part of the tech stack we use to run our businesses. Relay allows Blake and I to each have our own logins, we can grant access to our team and even our accountant without sharing passwords or two-factor authentication codes. Relay allows us to grow and scale our banking needs without ever going into a physical branch. I recently added an account to receive inbound merchant services with just a few clicks. And I had to create a payroll checking account, again, just a few clicks, and I instantly had access to my ACH info to give to my payroll provider. With Relay's virtual cards, we can issue debit cards to our team around the world for needed business expenses. I can instantly spin up a new Visa debit card and set both daily and monthly spending limits. And when a team member doesn't need their card, I can freeze it until they need to use it again. To learn more about using Relay in your firm and with your clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R E L A Y.
1: I saw a really interesting article about a use of AI, an actual practical use of AI on the Zapier blog. There is a company called Vector Media. They're the largest transit advertising company in the US. And they were having an issue with too many customer support, support tickets and not enough time for their agents to give personalized responses. And Zapier did a great write-up on how they used an integration with Zapier to help. So they use a tool called, um, I think Freshdesk is their tickets, support tickets tool and they integrated it via Zapier with ChatGPT Plus, and it sends every customer support inquiry over to ChatGPT via the API, and then drafts a response and a summary and posts it as a note into the ticket in Freshdesk. And so the agent can read the summary and see the suggested response and copy and paste it. So it's a really good example of like a today use case.
0: So you still have the human interacting with the other human. Yeah. It's just that human, instead of them going and finding stuff and copying and pasting, it's just served up to me instantly. And then I can pick and choose the pieces that were served up to me to deliver the final product to, the final response to the customer.
1: Yeah. I think drafting summaries and responses and just putting those in context in whatever app you're using to do customer support it's just so powerful i'm doing something similar with notion where i save articles throughout the week into notion that i want to talk about on the show i used a zapier integration to send every link that i save into this database over to ChatGPT, and i have a pre-written prompt that goes with it that says please summarize this in one paragraph for me with all the key statistics called out and then it posts that back into the into a field in notion so i have my list of articles and a brief summary of every story. Now I need to go look at the story to make sure that what ChatGPT summarized is correct. And I find that most of the time, like vast majority of the time, I actually can't remember the last time, and I've been doing this for months now, where it's gotten something wrong. Because I also have a little lever in terms of a hallucination. Uh, how much liberty should it take with the facts? And i set that as close to zero as possible. So you know, integrations like that, implementations like that are possible right now in your firm. And I would encourage you to explore those with Zapier. It's a it's a great, really inexpensive way to get started. You're talking 50 bucks a month for a Zapier subscription. The chat GPT API is incredibly cheap. I spend like a few dollars a month on it. It's amazing. So
0: give it a shot. Uh, Michael Berg has a great comment here. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. The FBI needs to launch their own fraud GPT, such an easy evidence collection. And I remember all these uh, criminals got... The honeypot, because they, they basically the FBI basically sold you know clean burner cell phones <laughs> like for years and they were all not burner cell phones they were all FBI cell phones that they sold to organized crime and they took down this huge it was like a worldwide sting but it, it's kind of the same thing absolutely they they should create tools like this uh, you know how to cheat at taxes website and then you just l- l- let everybody let them come to you it's actually really smart
1: there is a new conversational AI that I saw a demo of online. Um, I wonder if I can put this up and play it for you. It's called AIR. I'm going to try playing this. So this is an AI sales call. The, The sales rep is an AI.
2: Hey, James. Yeah, who's this? Hey, James. It's Alexander from Tesla Motors. How's your day going so far?
3: It's going pretty good, man, how about yourself? You said from Tesla, right? It's the car company?
2: Yeah, that's right. I'm calling from Tesla Motors, the car company. Did you have any trouble or questions while customizing your car on our website?
3: Uh, no, we're just kind of shopping around and, uh, you know, just
2: taking a look. Gotcha. That makes sense. Sometimes we're just exploring our options before making a decision, and I totally respect that. Can I ask you why you were looking into a Tesla in the first place? Yeah,
3: I mean, uh, I've had my car for <laughs> way too long now. And so I've kind of taken a look at options and I have a lot of friends who just absolutely rave about Tesla and, you know, me myself, I'm actually a big fan of Elon uh, Elon Musk. So I figured I might as well take a look and uh, kind of explore my options there and see what you guys had available.
2: That's a smart approach, James. It's always good to explore your options and see what's available. Out of curiosity, what do you currently drive?
3: Yeah, I drive a, it's an old Ford Fusion, my man.
2: Nice, a Ford Fusion. Why are you looking to switch things up and consider a Tesla?
3: Yeah, I mean, I've had that car since, literally since I got my first job years back. Um, and it was just time for a change. So it's like, you know, it's, it's not super reliable anymore. And it's it's time for an upgrade. I'm moving into the city now and uh, you know, I just think it's time you know, while I get the new apartment, might as well get the new car at the same time, you know?
2: I totally get that, James.
1: So, I'm not going to play the whole call. That was about half of it. I just thought, David, actually, first, I want to get your reaction.
0: So, so my reaction, like, I'm thinking back to when I was in the call center, right? And so, so, I think there's two things I see something like this doing. It's not going to replace your your A plus sales guys, your A sales guys, your B sales guys, those guys are going to benefit from AI in other ways, right? Like, like, but if you're a C employee and D employees, because I remember those guys when they were on phones, yeah, and they all they do is just restate what the customer just told them. And to be honest, it was just like that. If I go back 30 years ago, listen to a, a C employee or a D level employee they take phone calls, that's how they interact with the customers. Kind of like no, nothing real, right? Reading a script. Basically a real, reading a script. There was a call taking place. Words are being exchanged, but there's not any actual thing happening there. And so this is where, if you're a D employee or C employee, AI is going to take your job. Mm-hmm. like Because it can do a shitty job just like you're doing a shitty job. <laughs> like, Is that going to close yeah. the sale? Probably not. right? But yeah. it can do a shitty job. And if you do shitty work, you're going to lose your job. That's my, that's my reaction listening to that.
1: I couldn't have said it better. Tidy 4 says, this sounds so monotone I would have hung up the phone. And Luke says, maybe something on the other side of the human experience in AI, people might like that. These sort of tools can somewhat mimic that. But I'm excited to be able to skip the small talk and jump straight to the point. I, I, I think there is a benefit to AIs, which is that if you're asking a simple question and it has in its database, you can just get that response right away. That's what voice assistants suck at right now is like they can only do this small subset of tasks but imagine when we're going to be able to talk to them and like siri can go search through your emails and find that order that you place and you need the order number or you're checking into the hotel and you need to get the information about it and you don't have it handy you just ask right or if you do call up QuickBooks support an ai answers and is actually going to be better at getting you to the right place than the human was who would constantly misdirect your calls <laughs> or hang up on you not saying I'm not singling out into it there, but I mean that's just like a common customer support gripe, right? Like you said, those first level employees, the ones you reach first, are the worst most of the time, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, or it's it's very high turnover positions too, because like you're always yeah. having to like get rid of this the D performance, and you place them, and it's hard to improve that. And you never have to fire a, an AI. It can, if you just need a C-level job, it'll be there. Good enough. Yeah. Um, Chat
1: GPT now has custom instructions. So basically this lets you save certain instructions for every prompt. So Heather Smith uh, in Australia was saying, this is great because now I can tell it to always use Australian spellings and I'm not going to get those American English responses. So examples of how these chat tools are getting better and more useful for us. Or, or, if you have a certain tone that you always want to use in all of your responses that you're drafting with it, you can do that. I haven't tried it yet myself, but I'm going to give it a shot.
0: So, I can say, always put the airplane emoji in my calendar appointments. Exactly. Yeah, free. Maybe, maybe maybe it's the dream of it starting to learn my preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, Plaid announced that they're going to uh, work with Cross River Banks. So, Cross River Banks, one of these banks that uh, has APIs and they let other. FinTech companies use their bank rails. Well, Cross River Bank is one of the FedNow banks. So now, in theory, app developers who never integrated with any bank, well, they because they if they integrate with Plaid, they can use Plaid's payment system. And in theory, now a lot of apps should be able to start offering instant payments using FedNow. And you know, it's a little bit of a dance, right? It's <laughs> Cross River Bank uses FedNow, Plaid uses Cross River Bank, and app uses plaid. It's a little bit of that, and then a customer's using the at. so it's a little bit of a dance but in theory it should expand the fed now use even faster right this episode of the accounting podcast is sponsored by forwardly are you tired of waiting for client payments to clear and being stuck with slow ach transfers Frustrated with paying high fees for credit cards? Stop being stuck with slow payments and say hello to the future of real-time payments with Forwardly, America's first instant business payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly in their bank accounts, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. Best of all, Forwardly allows you to receive faster payments 24-7, 365. With competitive processing fees, generous partner rewards, and no commitment required, Forwardly empowers you to build a modern practice with happier, clients. If you're ready to liberate clients and yourself from the expensive credit card fees, the limitations of bank hours, holidays, weekends, and are ready to embrace the future of real-time payments with Forwardly, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forwardly. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward F-O-R-W-A-R-D-L-Y.
1: Shall we get to listener mail? Yes. All right. We got some comments on our TurboTax Live demonstration, walkthrough, review, whatever you want to call it. If you have not listened to this episode yet, you got to listen to it. Uh, David and I spent, well, the video is about what, 45, 50 minutes. And it's the entire experience that we had working with TurboTax Live on our business return. So we filed an LLC partnership return with TurboTax full service. And we documented the whole experience. It's on the podcast feed. It's on YouTube. Check it out. We got an email response or uh, thoughts from Jason Ackerman. He had some comments on this. Um, He said that he thought it was interesting that they required an operating agreement and other supporting documents and didn't just take a trial balance, that this is a good thing, and that they had quality control in place. I thought that was, you know, smart. The actual technology was not that great, Jason says. Like David said on the pod, the fact that you had to upload documents and not just give access to QBO makes the process a lot clunkier. And the fact that we had to download the uh, 8879 and physically sign it was surprising. So that was just for the um, Arizona State authorization, because Arizona doesn't allow a digital signature on those yet. But the federal one, we were able to e-sign. And and I think David, that was your best point. Is like they should just connect to QuickBooks, and I think they probably will eventually, right?
0: Like this was their yeah. first year in operations. So, I mean, yeah. It makes the most sense. Um, One of the com- two comments said, that I've seen resonating. Oh, you still have the same letter. Go
1: ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, feel free to you know, interrupt at any point. Um, Jason made a lot of points here. Uh, he said the process took a long time. That in his firm they would have had the partnership return done in probably two days with review. And the price was surprisingly high for what you got, which I think is something we can all learn from. If your CPA firm is charging less than 1500 for a business return, then you are doing it wrong. And that's the price that we paid for this return. Now, I will say that Intuit does discount this price. We paid the full list price, but during tax season, when they were promoting the service for the first time, they were discounting it down to like 700 to $800 for the return. And also remember, this is their full service. This isn't the one where you do it yourself and then they review it. This is the full service offering where they do everything and you don't touch the software other than the portal. I think the, the most interesting comment Jason made was the fact that there was no advice given at all. It was just a return that we got. There was no, how do you save on taxes next year? How do you maximize deductions? How do you find all the industry specific tax credits? We, we didn't get any of that. That's a really good point.
0: In my experience at firms, I don't really get it. you. Didn't really get it either. You get like some links to some things. Like, yeah, here's a link on how to set up this mm-hmm. retirement plan thing or whatever. I'm like, in, I could just Google that myself. Uh, the two comments that I've seen pop up over and over again on social media and on um, the YouTube comments, etc. One is everybody notices the $10 reconciliation difference, and everybody says that's going to haunt us next year. Apparently i don't think
1: the, i don't think so because it was just a difference between like uh, it was a reconciling item on the bank statement
0: yeah. you know like I don't
1: know, but maybe
0: it is it's <laughs> what it is and then the other piece that a lot of people picked up on is we happen to have our bookkeeping in somewhat order yeah how long would this have taken if our bookkeeping was a mess
1: right because they weren't gonna point. help us fix it they they, they require yeah. that yeah, so maybe we send it back and they're like, no, it still doesn't reconcile, still doesn't tie out. We send it back, still doesn't tie out. Maybe you'd never get your taxes done in that case. And it's interesting, you don't have,
0: they don't make you pay until you're ready to file. So like, yeah. yeah. And I just don't get, but, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not a firm. I just can't imagine doing anybody's taxes if I'm not doing the books for them. Mm-hmm. The odds of people, wait, we're a defect in the matrix coming in with a decent Instead of bookkeeping books. Yeah. Right? Like, most people don't. And like, how do you do their taxes? I, I, I don't even know how that works at a firm. You had a firm, but you didn't do taxes. Like, anybody in the chat, how do you do taxes when they, people's QuickBooks suck? Like, how do
1: you do it? I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to do it. No. Um, I got some quick news before we go. Just some quick hits. Yeah. Jeannie Whitehouse has been named as the new president of the IT Alliance. The ITA is the Information Technology Alliance. It's a membership association of mid-market technology professionals in North America. White House, known as the Countess of Communication, will take over from outgoing president Sean Slavin in August. And our listeners may know Jeannie from her presence on the accounting conference speaking circuit. She is the uh, redneck CPA in the wine industry in, in Napa, as she describes herself, who loves basset hounds. So you can expect to see her running the IT Alliance. And in other professional news, folks moving around the profession, Peter Alinto, Sugar Bear, as he is affectionately known over at Becker, is leaving Becker. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine how many thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of CPA candidates are huge fans of, of Peter, from taking Becker classes, uh, he he made it really interesting. I didn't take Becker; I took Glime, uh, but all my friends took Becker. It seems like and love Peter alinto and I actually got to go to like a a happy hour with him when I was uh, in public accounting and got to meet him. He's like a celebrity, you know. People come up to him and are like, they 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 are starstruck. So it's not clear where he's going to go. He was there for twenty five years, um, but he has not leaving education
0: it it looks like uh going concern has an article related to this and there's a a, this is either a tweet or linkedin post and it says congratulate peter for starting a new position as a global lead instructor at uworld uworld like not like the capital u world
1: uworld test prep oh it's a big test prep company all right so he got a new gig so he's, he's not leaving the uh test prep world he'll be there still. What else? Oh, cpajournal.com covered public remarks by Paul Munter, the SEC chief accountant, and Richard Jones, the FASB chair. And something caught my attention. Jones, back uh, in earlier this month, he said that FASB has reset its agenda based on stakeholder outreach, that Key focus areas will include intangibles, disaggregated disclosures, cash flow statements, and timely standard setting, but he doesn't see a need to rethink held to maturity accounting based on bank runs. Both amortized cost and fair value are presented today, and he sees that as sufficient. Of course, my problem is that the uh, amortized cost and the fair value, like the fair value stuff is all buried deep in the financial statements and nobody reads it. So even though it's presented, it's not obvious. Like, I think they could do a better job presenting that sort of thing. I don't know. It's just, it's so messed up that, like, I, I don't understand this. Like, that banks can choose how they want to value these assets held on their balance sheets. Like, why do they get to choose? If if we wanted to have, like, reporting be easily comparable across banks, we should just say, here's how you do it. Here's the rule. And you do it this way. You don't get to choose whether or not you're going to use amortized cost or fair value or whatever like like it's there's too much discretion and that's what allows management to manipulate the numbers.
0: Yeah. And and there's certain I mean you want it happening anywhere but I think it's certainly more risk when banks are doing it. They're yeah. playing games with their numbers. We don't want and banks to
1: be playing games. No.
0: Yeah. Anything else before we go David? I think that's it. I mean, I'm going to see you tomorrow or on Sunday because we're going to the National well, it's the
1: national association of enrolled agents conference
0: in scottsdale yeah it's
1: 158 it, degrees right now it's it is the surface of the sun here you can bake cookies on your car dashboard i've seen people do it we had some friends who did it just to see if it worked and it does so yeah i'll see you over there at the west in kierland and it'll be good to get to know more enrolled agents our app earmark works for IRS continuing education. A lot of people don't know that, but we have federal tax courses up there. We've got a podcast all about federal tax that we produce with Paget, and you can get all of your IRS continuing education done every year with it. So hopefully we'll spread the word about Earmark. And for our CPA and CMA listeners, our CA listeners as well, uh, you can use Earmark to get CPE credit for listening to this show right now. If you just listen to us, you can get Continuing education credit. Just download the Earmark app on the App Store or Google Play. Check it out. It's free. You can upgrade for a steal. If you upgrade before August 1st, it's $99 for a year. On August 1st, it goes up to $129 per year. We have over 800 hours of continuing education on the app. And that's because we do it with podcasts.
0: And we just released a bunch of new features. Blake has a good little video and blog post about it.
1: Brian asks if we're coming to the tax Twitter retreat. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't get it on my calendar early enough this year. I was not aware of it, but I would love to come next year if I can, if I can swing it. Yeah. Um, But we will be, we will be at the unique CPA conference at the end of August. I will be at Gusto next in San Francisco. We are going to be at Sweet World. We are going to be at QuickBooks Connect. There's some other ones that I can't remember right the now. But we'll keep you appraised.
0: The in Chicago. Yep. Next, yep. Um, uh, and I'm sure there'll be other conferences that pop up. It's just, uh, yeah, text Twitter retreat did not make it this year. Thanks, everyone, for
1: listening. You can connect with me online. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. You can track David down. He's at David Leary. We'll see you around next week. Bye, David. Bye.
0: time for the classifieds. Your accounting clients don't want another shiny app they have to log into. They want to be met where they live in their email inbox. FinDaily does just that. FinDaily automates the communication of key financial data by sending it to your client's inbox daily. Try FinDaily out for free at findaily.io. That's findaily.io sick of waiting for same-day ACH transfers that stick to bank hours or paying high fees for credit cards? Stop settling with slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly, America's first accessible instant payment solution. With Forwardly, accountants in the USA can receive small business payments instantly, 24-7, 365 days a year, manage cash flow, and simplify accounting with automatic reconciliation. With generous partner rewards, ridiculously low fees, and no monthly charge, you can start thinking Forwardly at forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com